do the minister and ruling elder hold the same office? The historic Presbyterian, I would say, if 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 not to say Calvinist more broadly, answer is sick at naught. And of course, when we say that a theological question or set of questions has as its answer sick at naught, that means yes and no. Thank you for tuning in to episode 131 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology and cultural issues, all from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. In today's episode, we're going to look at a particular vocation where one is called to proclaim the Word of God, that being the minister of the Word and sacraments. Being in this vocation, they hold an office. Dr. Alan Strange, professor of church history here at the seminary, takes us on a tour of this office, particularly in its distinction from the office of ruling elder. And in the weeks ahead, he's going to look more narrowly at the office of elder and the office of deacon. Here's Dr. Strange. Jared, it's so good to be with you and all of our wonderful listeners. It's been a little while. I'm on a sabbatical, which does not mean that I am excessively sleeping and fishing. (laughs) Dr. Venom and I have a running joke about that. Um, I've gotten a little bit of leisure in, but quite a lot of research and writing. I've got a lot of writing done. I finished some projects, but I have uh, some other big things before me still, and I'm very happy to be doing it all for uh, this wonderful institution and for, I hope, the edification of the church and the glory of our Lord. Um, I want to talk today with our listeners who support in prayer and in every way we greatly appreciate, uh, to talk to our listeners about the question of church office. In fact, uh, I'd like to have a few little sessions with you on church office. And what I'd like to begin with is the question, when we think about church office, of course, let me just say briefly, uh, we speak about uh, three offices generally, the office of minister, the office of ruling elder, and the office of deacon. We also, particular Presbyterians, uh, have a history of speaking of the general office of believer. Uh, as well. Sometimes, and I think in more recent days, reform folk have also employed that particular nomenclature, the general office of believer, which highlights that everybody has a duty. That's When we start talking about office, it's helpful to remember that what office denotes is duty. The Latin word uh, officium means duty. So all believers uh, might be said to have a general office in that they have a duty to serve the Lord Christ in his church. All believers have vocations, broadly speaking, um, and are per- to pursue the whole of their lives as unto the Lord. You can think of Ephesians 6, 5, 8, that older language there is is evocative, where Paul says, uh, in the King James, Paul didn't say it in the King James, but in the King James it says, not with eye service as men pleasers. That's not the way we're to go about whatever we're doing. Uh, our ordinary work 
is not to be to please men primarily, but the Lord, because we serve Christ. So this is this should be an encouragement to all of our listeners who may feel like they're stuck in a dead-end job with not a very good boss and co-workers that mm, have their issues. Remember, you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we have uh, within that uh, giving our lives to Christ, uh, those who then are called to serve in the church as elders, ruling elders, and as deacons. We're going to talk later about that. We're going to start talking about uh, especially those who are called to give, you might say, their the whole of their lives in the service of that, ministers of the gospel. Well, actually, we're going to begin talking about something of the question of do ministers and elders hold the same office? Now, undoubtedly, uh, some of our Reformed, good and wonderful Reformed listeners may be scratching their heads a bit uh, because they've never been confused about this question in that sense. And they're saying, well, of course, they're not the same office. There's a distinction of office. Um, many Presbyterians, though, are divided in some measure by this question. Good folk who have the same confessional views have some different ways of seeing this. And among Presbyterians, particularly this question gets asked, do the minister and ruling elder hold the same office or is the office of minister while sharing governance with the ruling elder a distinct office in its own right? Now, to put it that way, might give a hint to how I would answer that question. The answer we could say with respect to the question of the offices of minister uh, and elder or ruling elder as commonly put, uh, do the minister and ruling elder hold the same office? The historic Presbyterian, I would say, if 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 not to say Calvinist more broadly, answer is sick at non. And of course, when we say that a theological question or set of questions has as its answer sick at non, that means yes and no. And here's the yes part. Uh, yes, inasmuch as the minister is also a church governor. Or to put it another way, the minister is everything that the ruling elder is. This is at least the the conception within Presbyterianism. The minister is everything that the ruling elder is. In fact, the latter, the ruling elder, is said in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, Book of Church Order of I'm a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. That book of church order says that the ruling elder is to join with the minister in the government of the church. So it's clear that it sees ministers and ruling elders as governing in the church and they're to join with them. So we could say in that sense, they have a shared kind of office. And then the answer, on the other hand, the no answer is insofar as the ruling elder is not a minister of word and sacrament but rather primarily a governor of the church, together with the other ruling elders and the minister, he does not hold the office of minister because he's not a minister of word and sacrament. So the minister is everything that the ruling elder is. He is a governor of the church as fully as the ruling elder is, but the ruling elder is not, in addition to that, a a minister of the word and sacrament. When we talk about office, and we've talked in terms of general office of believers, they all have one, we we talk then also about special office. 
Um, and one of the ways that the OP book of church order puts it is the power of believers in their general office includes the right to acknowledge and desire the exercise of the gifts and calling of the special offices. And special office exists under both testaments. You can think of prophets, priests, and kings in the old, as well as elders, Levites, and others. In the new covenant, we see two kinds of offices, what we would call extraordinary and temporary offices, as were the foundational offices of apostles and prophets, right? The apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20 says, are the foundation of the church with Christ as the chief cornerstone. And we would say that those offices of apostle and prophet have an ordinary and perpetual aspect to them. Uh, and that ordinary and perpetual aspect is continued. They, of course, let me just pause to say, they were offices which had uh, with them the extraordinary or charismatic gifts, uh, speaking in tongues, they were engaged in divine healing. All of these as attestations of their call and that they held this office, which was foundational. But of course, you don't keep laying a foundation. You lay a foundation and the apostles and the prophets in the book of Acts, you can see, are laying the foundation for the new covenant church upon which will build then what we would call the ordinary and perpetual offices that follow, the offices of minister, elder, and deacon given to furnish the church with the gifts of teaching, the office of minister, ruling, the office particularly of elder, and serving the office of deacon. Now, the Roman Catholic Church would tend to emphasize special office to the detriment of the general office of the believer. And you could say on the other end of the spectrum, the radical reformation, you can think of the Anabaptists and all of those groups, Mennonites and the like, would tend to emphasize the general office of believer to the detriment of special office. The reformers, you can say, demonstrate their genius, particularly Calvin and those who follow in his train, in upholding both general and special office. It's, it's a rather remarkable thing when you study uh, the abuse that comes to obtain with respect to church office and governance in the church, especially in the late Middle Ages. It's a rather remarkable thing that you have Luther, and of course he retains an Episcopal idea as well, but especially Calvin and the Reformed, retaining and having a strong view of special office. They don't toss it out because there'd been so much papal abuse, so much abuse on the part of bishops, so much abuse on the part of priests in the parish. Uh, some, our radical Reformed friends, the Anabaptists, they, they tend to toss the whole thing out. But our uh, reformational heritage is to maintain that proper balance, which is a biblical balance that we continue uh, to have this office. The distinction in office, we could say, between minister and elder was recognized uh, from all the evidence that we have in both the apostolic and post-apostolic church. Bishops and presbyters, bishop, the word there is episkopoi, as the plural, and presbyters, presbyteroi, had parity of rule 
apparently in the apostolic church, though even at this point, there's heated debate as to the range of meaning of presbyter. Some would argue that presbyter and bishop were absolutely synonymous, and they both referred to ministers. And you might say, well, where would the warrant be for something called ruling elders? Well, many reformed, Calvin, the Westminster uh, divines, Charles Hodge, find the warrant in uh, Romans 12, 8 and 1 Corinthians 12 uh, in several places. For example, you can think of Philippians 1, 1, where Paul greets there the bishops and deacons, and they say the bishops includes all of the presbyters, and it's all referring there uh, to, to broadly this office as it gets, as it gets kind of teased out. Um, so there's a lot of questions about this. There's a lot of debate over whether presbyter is restricted to preaching presbyters or could also include ruling lay elders. I mean, they weren't called that in Geneva. They were called uh, signores. They were called something similar in Scotland in 1560 with the first book of discipline because Knox studied under Calvin in Geneva and was very, very influenced. So a lot of people who uh, make some interesting remarks about, well, this is what they believe on the continent, but this is what the Scottish believe, perhaps are forgetting that Knox called Calvin's school in Geneva uh, the most excellent one since the days of the apostles. That is to say, Knox brought basically his views from Calvin into Scotland, and that's what gets expressed in the first book of discipline. Now, the second book of discipline, the first book of discipline is 1560, and that's also the Scottish Confession. That's really the reformation of the Scottish church. The second book uh, is only 18 years later, 1578, Andrew Melville and others are involved with that. John Knox was involved with the first. In fact, there were six fellows named John who were involved with the first. And the second uh, is only 18 years later, but it has a more mature view, you might say, of the elder because that first book only believed that elders should serve for a year, a year term. And the second book, 1578, Second Book of Discipline, talks about elders being having lifetime service. So we're talking about some of the distinctions here um, between the two. The question is what the role of the bishop was vis-a-vis that of the presbyter in the earlier church. We were talking about that. And differentiation occurred in which bishop and presbyter were distinguished as two different ranks of clergy, at least by the early second century with Ignatius, it appears, uh, witnessing the establishment of the supremacy of the bishop in the late second century with what you call the rise of the diocesan bishop, a bishop who governs a whole area, uh, as you see in Irenaeus and Tertullian. By Cyprian's time in the mid-third century, presbyter had come to mean entirely the parish priest over against the diocesan bishop. So if you said episcopoi, you meant a, a guy who ruled over a bunch of clergy and churches in an area. And if you said presbyter, presbyteros, you meant a parish priest, basically. There are multiple reasons for this hierarchical development. The church mimicked the political structure of the empire in a measure, to be sure, but the notion of apostolic succession, though unbiblical, was was something that was very much going on here. Uh, We've said that the foundational office of apostle doesn't admit of a successor, and there wasn't any evidence in the pastoral epistles of a successor, 
but uh, you had this office, this notion of apostolic succession, and that becomes very prominent uh, in that part of the church. And so when we return, we're going to talk some more about this and the office of minister. Join us next week as Dr. Strange continues this conversation on the distinction between minister of the word and sacraments and the elder. Remember, is there a distinction? Seek et non, yes and no. Tune in next week to learn more. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows, be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.